0: Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Cool stuff
1: coming out of New York right now. Um, yes, please. Yes. Uh, do you know about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? No. Okay. So for 19 years, um, the congressional district here in like this relative area of New York, I think really kind of Queens to Bronx, I'm not sure how it's mapped out. Um, I don't have Mm -hmm. voting power in New York, despite the states and cities best efforts to get me to vote here. I'm still voting for Connecticut, because yes, New York is blue, but I find Connecticut and Connecticut's blue. But I feel like where I'm from, it's more of a toss up. So I kind of like to stay where, you know, strategic anyways so for 19 years it's <laughs> been held by this one guy whose name is joe something i mean this is off the cuff so i don't know joe whatever it's a white guy <laughs> um it's been held 19 years and there was this young woman who i think she's either younger than me or they were the same age her um her name is alexandrea i'm just gonna super not pronounce this right so i'm sorry it's Alexandria ocasio cortez mm-hmm. and um she was kind of a progressive kind of like democratic socialist like kind of like the bernie sanders crowd um Mm -hmm. and she was like very just like this is what we need to do we need like latinx representation um and like she was kind of this like left field candidate that everyone was like oh this is you know very hopeful but this isn't someone who's gonna like you know win this thing she won by a landslide tonight oh
0: my god it's
1: incredible after 19 years she unseated this guy and it's it's the week has been the last two weeks have been so chilling in terms of what's happening with the news that for this to come through and almost it doesn't erase all of it but it makes me feel better about everything and i don't know like it's weird i just like it just happened and i've been like you know preparing for this recording so i haven't had a lot of time to focus on the news but I, i don't know i it's a great way to start this podcast um I I know, right? Yeah. How have you uh, How have you been?
0: Uh, I'm doing okay. I mean, I got podcast broken up within the woods.
1: I saw. So I'm really sorry about that.
0: It's okay. I was more terrified about bears Bear. and asking the question if elk are aggressive. I don't know. I still don't know if elk are aggressive, but they ha- travel in a herd. So I mean, if they're going to be aggressive, there's like 50 of them to murder me. Also. I've moved to the land of T- Ted Bundy and oh, uh, the Greenway River killer. Yeah,
1: man, you're tempting fate.
0: I, I know. I be- But I, I built in as a single white female, I built in some safeguards. Like I'm doing like a work for rent exchange. So people are counting to see me every day. So I hopefully won't get murdered.
1: Yeah. You, I'm just kind of nervous for you being like, oh, yeah, I'm in the <laughs> middle of the woods in this like territory known for some of the most notorious American serial killers of all time. And creepy things happen here. And oh, yeah, people just random people just come in and uh, yeah, I take care of them. Courtney, <laughs> I, you in danger, girl.
0: I, I know. Uh, and there's bears. There's bears. Like, people have seen them around actually
1: i don't worry about you because i feel like are bo- you're so into true crime that like um <laughs> someone's gonna walk in and you're gonna like read them and you're like don't even try it don't like just let's not even do this um so i don't worry about that too much i also think you're in a pretty safe area
0: pretty safe i have built-in safeguards for myself i make sure people know where i'm going Hmm. I have a knife. The question of how quickly I can get said knife out is debatable, but hey, you know, I wear a ranger outfit to work every day, so that's not bad, so people think I'm important and I know what I'm talking about.
1: Courtney, you are important, and you always know what you're <laughs> talking about. Just take it. Just take the compliment. <laughs> um,
0: Depends uh, on the day. Let's go with yeah, that, because...
1: It's Tuesday. It's weird.
0: It's weird. This is my weekend, if that makes any sense. I don't... Yeah. My weekend's in the middle of the week, but it's fun. So basically what's going to happen, dear listeners, is we're going to, Maxwell is going to be Ashley for this episode, per se, and we will have new Ashleys for every two episodes. Uh, so Maxwell is going to tell me a lovely story.
1: <laughs> um, Adjective choice? Yeah. So thank you for having me on. It's, it's not really a lovely story. It's <laughs> dramatic and sad and tragic. Um, and I think it's important. And it does have to do with New York, where I live. Um, and just a little bit of background. I, my family on my late father's side is from New York and the island, Long Island. And they grew up in the city and in and around the city. And I've come to the city at least since ten, I was 10 years old, at least uh, once time a year until I moved here in uh, very early 2013. So New York is kind of, I grew up in Connecticut, but New York is sort of just been kind of my surrogate uh, for most of my life. Uh, so I wanted to do a story based on that. And this incidentally is probably one of my favorite unsolved mysteries of all time. It's, yeah, I guess we'll just get into it. So submitted uh, for your approval. <laughs> for, the Mid- for the Midnight Society, I call this one The Tale of the 2750th Victim or the case of Sineha Philip. So uh, Sineha and Philip was born in 1969 in Kerala, India, which I actually did an episode of Relic that uh, had to deal with a mi- another unsolved mystery in Kerala, India, which I thought was mm-hmm. interesting, and I didn't know about this until um, I started researching this, but uh, uh Sineha, I've also read that her name might be Sneha, but I was in my research. Someone who spoke the dialect, which I think is Hindi or an offset of Hindi, said that it's pronounced Sneha. So that's what I'm rolling with. She moved here with her family, uh, which consisted of her father, her mother, and her brother. I don't. I think that's it for her family members. I didn't read anything else. Uh, I might be wrong on that. Her father was a doctor, her mother was a computer programmer, so really smart, just really smart, successful family. They moved to Albany, which is the capital of New York State. Um, John was the name of her brother. So she comes from a, this is interesting, an uh, Indian Christian family. And in that, you take, it's kind of like a little bit like Russian, where you take your, the father's first name becomes your surname. So her na- her father's name was Philip. Okay, And, uh... Her middle name was uh, Anne. So I think there's kind of a lot of influence uh, from like the Western Christian standpoint there. It's really interesting so she moved so she yeah it's really neat so she grew up in albany which is the capital and then she moved to chicago for university where she studied at the school of medicine there she met a classmate named ron lieberman who was also a jazz guitarist as well as someone (laughs) studying to be a doctor which is really cool and five years later they got married in a in a christian indian jewish ceremony so that's really interesting
0: That sounds like the craziest wedding ever, right? It
1: sounds like the most fun wedding ever. And apparently what's interesting is that where she comes from in India, that's not an uncommon occurrence because of just the uh, crossing over of culture there. It's kind of a lot of weddings just by their nature, regardless of which Uh background you ascribe to, are influenced by Hinduism, uh, Islam, and Jewish ceremonies. So that was Pretty much par for the course, uh, hmm. to, like her family, which is really interesting. Um, at the marriage ceremony, she, gave, uh, Ron gave Sineha uh, Aminu, which is a, a stylized cross that's usually given to women during marriage rites in Kerala, India, and I think other parts of the Eastern Eastern uh church. I think it's Eastern Orthodox. I might be might be wrong, but it's the part of the Christian church that made its way into the Middle East, that part of the world. So uh it's called a minnow, it looks like a cross, and it's basically like the an engagement ring, but you wear it around your neck, like a necklace. So Ron and Sineha moved to New York City, and they both got internships together, which is really cute. Uh, Ron was up at Jacoby, which is in the Bronx. And Sineha originally worked at Cabrini Medical Center on 19th Street in the Lower East Side. Now, Cabrini has been closed since 2008 due to financial difficulties. And from what little I've read, it didn't sound like it was the best hospital in New York City to work at. And some uh. of that's going to become more apparent as the story goes on. So Sneha and Ra got a very nice apartment in Battery Park, specifically at a, a residence called Rector Place, which is still there. It has since been converted into luxury apartments. It was near the World Trade Center. At the tail end of the business district, yeah, of the business district, right along the water. Um, That area, just to describe it, it's just a lot of really tall buildings, and then dispersed among them are really old buildings, because that was the part of Manhattan that the Dutch and the English settled. So that's where Wall Street is. And fun fact, Wall Street, there actually was a wall there. It didn't really work at the time. It was to keep, keep out, I think it was either to keep out the English to keep out the Dutch, or to keep out the Lenape, who live there um it didn't really work and it doesn't exist anymore but uh if you've ever been to that area it's very it's dense and weird and doesn't really it's not as so much a grid like the rest of um this of manhattan which just kind of follows a grid pattern and very like easy it's
0: the natural city
1: that, like, Boston is. It is very much a natural city that originally was there, and it's just, like, a lot of tall buildings, and it's right along the water. So, uh, by all accounts, Sineha was a very outgoing and sociable person who is said to be very committed to her job of healing people. In some of the Reddit threads I've perused about this case, uh, people who have responded to this case uh, who claim to know her, and again, I'm just going on the faith of the internet <laughs> and just presuming positive intent, which is a lot considering it's Reddit and the internet, uh, but they describe. There was one one that stuck out to me. There was, uh, I believe, it was a woman. I think I, I'm not sure if there was like a gender ascribed to it, but I just got a sense that it was a woman. I could be wrong. Who said described Sineha as someone who would enter a room at a party and people would just immediately be drawn to her. She was very engaging and smart. And though I could not find any citation for this outside of being a doctor, it was said that she had a real interest in the arts as well, specifically watercolor painting and illustration, like pencil illustration. That later part is going to become important at the end of the story. Uh, She was also really, not that this really matters, but she was also really exceptionally beautiful and striking. So I think that kind of had to do with, like, she was just a magnetic personality, like, you know... In terms of her looks, yes, but also just and just being a very social, outgoing person. So uh, externally, Sineha and Ron appeared to have a really great marriage. They had two cats, kittens, they're described, Kali and Fida. And they lived in a really prosperous neighborhood of the city. Uh, despite that, Sineha has started to get, you know, shortly before the incident, we'll say, of the story takes place, Sineha had some very difficult issues at work. Um, I do want to kind of put like a disclaimer that there's a lot of contradiction and I would say biases and leaps made against Sineha by law enforcement as well as I would say, to a lesser extent, people who knew her. Um, I don't agree with a lot of the conclusions, especially from the law enforcement side. And that's not, like, me being like, ooh, the police are problematic in New York. <laughs> that's me just kind of, like, taking from what I know. Because, you know, the police traditionally in New York have... Well, I don't really want to get poli- into, like, the politics of it. I have a lot of opinions. But we'll just say that at the time this took place, I think the police were and the NYPD and the... Um, the fire department were, uh, you know, pretty lauded for what they did and for the efforts they they um they put out. I'm sorry, English is not happening right now, so um I'm not trying to like pass a, just like a generalization. I'm just saying that um in this case, I think that it was not particularly well handled.
0: I would say if you're. If you're looking for, like, more intrigue into, like, the New York police, like, NYPD at this time, anytime you listen to the early last podcast on the left, especially when I think they were talking about the serial killer who said a dog made him do it.
1: Oh, oh yeah, the son of Sam.
0: Son of Sam killings, because Henry Zabrowski's dad was a police officer in NYPD at that point. And he talks about like how his dad was all the time. I
1: don't think I've heard that one yet, which is weird because I love last podcast, but I haven't gone through a lot of their back. I've just started going through their back catalog. I'll definitely have to listen to Mm. that. So anyways, Sineha had some difficulties with tardiness at work as well as alcohol abuse. Now, the reports don't really go into detail about this, so I'm not sure. And there's a lot of vagary here, which is unfortunate. There isn't a whole lot about this story. Despite the fact that I would consider it kind of the equivalent of the Maura Murray affair, like the Maura Murray of New York. Um, I'm sure that could be ascribed to a lot of other cases, too. Yeah. But um, So I don't know if alcohol abuse <laughs> means she was just arriving hungover or if she was very, you know, visibly drunk on the job. I find it hard to believe it would be the later because you'd probably be fired on the spot if you were a doctor showing up to work drunk in the medical field. So, uh, there's also nothing to indicate that she was particularly bad or problematic with patients. And judging by her personality, she was probably really good at interacting with them. Regardless, in the spring of that year in which the this case takes place, uh, Sineha's contract was not renewed, mm-hmm. meaning she was not able to continue to work at Cabrini. Now, Ooh. her parents believe that Sineha experienced racial bias when she was uh, at Cabrini and that she got into trouble not for drinking, but because she was a little bit of a whistleblower. So she was basically holding people accountable, is what they say. So I think it could be little column A, little column B. Um, I think maybe it's possible she was late to work one day from a hangover, maybe even like a few times sporadically. And those people who did not like her may have latched on and just decided to blow these cases out of proportion. So it might have gone from... She's just a woman in her early thirties who's enjoying the city and still, try, you know, coming to work hungover is kind of a New York pastime, to be honest. So, uh, and if you're a doctor, I would, I would <laughs> condemn it because it's not responsible. But uh, you know, who's to say? Anyways, so this place that is no longer around, as I mentioned before, and that did lead me to kind of raise an eyebrow that there was definitely shady practices going on. Now, this next part makes it a bit unclear on whether or not the following took place on the last day for job or the day she found out she wasn't going to be uh staying on board at Cabrini. Uh and the lack of concrete evidence and like dating of this kind of sucks because I think that does sort of change the uh aura of what happens next. So she was at a bar with coworkers, which included another resident or doctor. And she got into a fight with this person. Specifically she's she's it's I read on Reddit she slapped them. Um and the reason why is because she accused she accused them, or Ooh. I don't want to say she accused them. It's this person, from what all I've heard, is does she this person touched her inappropriately. So she filed a criminal complaint with the DA. But after the DA's office of Manhattan conducted an investigation. They turned around and accused her of filing a false report. So the subtext there is, yeah, not only, oh, it gets so much worse. Not only did they not believe her, but they believed that she was actually lying. Uh. So uh, this is a quote from one of the articles. The prosecutors offered to drop the charges if if Sineha recanted, but she refused. She was arrested. And spent a night behind bars where she meditated with a cellmate, which I think is really cool. Um she's she's kind of a badass. Yeah, she's a little <laughs> bit um I that's a
0: – oh my gosh.
1: I feel for her. We'll just I'll get into more of how I feel about emotionally about the story at the end. But
0: how how can she like if if you're making it up, if they were gonna throw you in jail, you'd be like, Oh yeah, I made it up. But if you're not making it up, why would you like, like she's willing to go sit in a jail cell? So clearly something happened.
1: I will always believe people who accuse those of sexual misconduct. Um, I don't know it's just so frustrating because there's not like a detailed account of like we don't have a transcript we don't have the statement she said like she wasn't like oh at like t- 12 uh, a.m. at like like the tucked away in the bar this person like touched my butt or like said, did something or mm-hmm. approached me or tried to like me. like threw me against the wall you know we don't have like those accounts of what happened what kind of inappropriate touching happened we don't even have the gender of this person though by all accounts, I think it's a male. And I think that's what a lot of other people who have like, done research into yeah. this case also seem to have come to the conclusion. So, but yeah, um, I did do a cursory legal search uh, for New York law and there does exist something called falsely reporting an incident in the third degree. Which, if you want to reference that, that's NYPL 240.50, or 240.50, subset. I don't know how it works. Um, I just said that <laughs> to sound smart. Well, with, So without getting into the legalese, it's essentially filing a report from which there's no substantial evidence or information that the crime took place. This is a Class mm. A misdemeanor felony, which can involve jail time up to a year. So, um, I think that's the basis of why they, they kind of locked her out, because there is there is a penalty for it. Doesn't mean I agree with it, and it's definitely fucked up. And it's super <laughs> weird. So, uh, yeah, I 100% believe that Sneha was touched inappropriately by a coworker. Of uh, That there is no doubt. But as to what evidence was brought against her to earn her that charge... I think this is how this has to do with um, maybe how it was construed. Uh, I mean, this is a woman with a record of bad choices, though that should not be recognized against her. I'm thinking that the person who assaulted her, probably told the cops that she was being let go and may have had decided to make up a story as vengeance against the people who were letting her go. That's yeah, me I mean. taking the perspective of this person who touched her, trying to use it as a defense. Whether or not that's true, that's a huge leap that I just made. But I can see someone who has just committed the crime of sexual assault, then y- y- piggybacking on the, the victim or the survivor's Uh, current situation and you weaponizing that against her
0: of course i mean it's already if you're already kind of a predator why wouldn't you use like manipulation to keep being a predator
1: yeah and to make an even big bigger leap and this isn't something i like to do and i like i'll just call this an off the record assumption and not something that there's any evidence for but you know, maybe this was the person who reported her to the higher-ups and this this le- led to her contract not being renewed. I have no idea. This is only speculation. Whatever the case is, it sucks. And um, as I said, the weird misogyny and racism does not stop here. So this is how Sineha Fris gets the attention of the Manhattan DA's office. And I do think that these circumstances may have influenced how... Detectives handled this case later on as events unfold. So, according to other reports, Sineha was experiencing marital problems in the months after she was fired from Cabrini. Court documents say that she often stayed out all night with individuals not known to her husband, whom she met at various bars. That's pretty vague. A lot of this is vague. There's some talk from people who knew her as well as her husband that these alleged stayings out all night were just platonic and not sexual, that these were just friends. I firmly believe that because I've stayed out night with people I've met that and, you know, I did not take them home. So, you know, I think, you know, now, why does this sound coated with the aura of scandal? Well, that's because of the bars that Sineha frequented. After this, uh, Russia, uh, you know, brush up with the law. And these bars include Henrietta Hudson's, which is still here in New York City, and Meow Mix, which is not now. Courtney, what do you think these two bars had in common with each other, especially with names like that?
0: I feel like they're lesbian bars.
1: Correct. <laughs> um, they were lesbian bars. Now, going to as a you know cisgendered woman going to. Uh, a lesbian bar does not automatically make you a lesbian uh, nor does being a trans woman g- going to a lesbian bar make you a <laughs> lesbian and considering that Sineha was most likely assaulted by a male coworker at a bar, one might think that a woman regardless of their sexual orientation would probably feel safer partying and drinking in an environment where they're not going to have any unwanted advances from men. In theory, there are men who go to lesbian bars as well. Um, yeah. But then there's this this story comes up later, and this comes through the NYPD investigation. So we're kind of leaping ahead here. Um, this report filed by a detective who I'm not a fan of alleges that Suneha's <laughs> brother, John, actually walked in on his sister and his wife slash mother of his child having, having sex together. So basically what? walked in on his sister and his wife in bed. That is absolutely outrageous. And this is something that her brother denies. Now, Wolf come to find out he's not the most reputable character either. But in this instance, I'm 100 percent taking his side on this one. But as, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And also, as we see here in the case of Sinehaf and Philip, there there's well, someone here is definitely lying. So, anyways, Ron, uh, her husband, swears that Sineha was really just kind of a bohemian who liked to go back to artist's house to, like, literally just listen to music and paint. He even says that she came home one morning with paint stains on her. And so that's the thing about being a doctor. It means you have weird schedules. So she would often show up just as he was getting up for, for work. Now, Ron wasn't the biggest fan of this, but they seemed to discuss a system where she would at least call ahead and let him know if she was going to stay out. Sometimes if she was tired, she would go back and crash at her brother's place in the West Village. She also had a cousin uh, elsewhere in the city that she would stay with, depending on where she was going. So this was probably kind of a comfort to Ron that knowing that even if his wife was out late, she still had a support system. Now, while I do think Seneha liked to party, I think she was just more of a bohemian who was really into interesting people. Kind of the quintessential New York girl, especially around this time um, of history. Um, I think when you devote so many mental resources into becoming a doctor, there are doctors out there who feel like they're missing out on other passions, especially artistic or dance pursuits. Um, my mom is a doctor and and I know for a fact, she's always trying to find new things, uh, whether it's gardening or um, like uh, sewing, which she's really into. Um, conversely, the, my neighbor in this complex I'm in right now and friend, um, he actually works as a doctor here in Manhattan. And when he's not uh, working, he's baking. So he's always bringing over macaroons. It's the best thing ever. Um, Yeah, it's fantastic. (laughs) But like, he's really into it. And I think there's just a nature of being. Being a medical professional, being a doctor, you're just kind of really intensely focused. So you're going to bring that into artistic passions as well. So he's always like perfecting baking, and that's just the kind of headspace that a lot of doctors get into. And um, I think
0: they're just stress. It's just so stressful. It's
1: absolutely, from you what need I a, understand, you need a release oh, to do something,
0: and those kind of things. It's physical in a mm-hmm. sense that it keeps you busy, and then you're tired. So that way, you're you're getting all that stress out in a different way. That's positive and you're like i might have not been able to do this at work today but i can bake i don't know 12 dozen macaroons which would be impressive
1: um and i'm pretty, actually pretty sure he's done that um yeah so shout out um but yeah i don't think sineha was necessarily a drunken stay out as my grandmother god rest her soul would put it i think she was a woman at an age which is i I think our age actually courtney um where she might not have been necessarily satisfied with her field um Mm. or her stand, like where she was in life and she was trying to make connections with a very creative side of herself and maybe exploring identities of herself that hadn't been explored yet so, and she didn't have a podcast? <laughs> um, this was a time, and I am being a little bit vague here, um, where podcasts really – it was a couple years – a few years away from when podcasts came out. Um, <laughs> so I think she, it,
0: couldn't, she couldn't put her efforts into a podcast and get fulfilled
1: that way? I feel like she would definitely have a podcast, you know, based on what I'm reading here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is some good news at this point in the story. Sineha does eventually get a job at another hospital. Uh, specifically St. Vincent's on Staten Island. And if you live in Battery Park, you could just grab the ferry and sail on over there. So she definitely landed on her feet. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it looks like the issues with alcohol followed her to her new job. Uh, Right away, she was assigned a substance abuse counselor who she did not go check in with or meet, and she was eventually suspended. Now, there are people out there who do genuinely believe that one of the reasons why Sneha was having these problems was that she was depressed. Um, Depressed because she was, in fact, maybe... At the very least, she was bisexual, or, you know, exploring that, or she might have been even a lesbian, and she was just kind of having the struggle with her sexuality. Um, This is understandable, given that she was, one, married already, which even if you are bisexual and married, and I'm Mm going to use Anna Paquin as an example, that doesn't change your attraction to people. That doesn't change your attraction to people from both genders. That's always just going to be you. Um, Even if you just are in a monogamous relationship, that doesn't change the fact that you're still, like, by your default attracted to... Um, you know, other you know, multiple genders um, or identifications. Um, also, she came from a very conservative or traditionally conservative culture. Um, oh yeah. And then you know, this wasn't that long ago, but it still was a few years off from gay marriage. You know, like some kind of acceptance, even if you are in New York, which is has been by and large one of the most uh, accepting cities for LGBTQIA individuals out there. Um, also, I think it's kind of telling that if you talk to both her husband and her family, they say, you know, they don't say, we believe she was bisexual, but that doesn't change anything about what happened to her or how we feel about her. They just kind of flat out discount her being bi at all. So there's definitely a bit of homophobia or biphobia running through the story as well, in addition to racism and misogyny. All of that sucks. So now all of this... So if you talk to her family, they say that around this point is when she was turning her life around. But that said, mm-hmm. all of this brings us to the morning of Monday, September the 10th. In the early morning, Sineha had a court appearance for the criminal proceedings against her uh, from that the uh, false charges, that BS. Um, <laughs> and she was accompanied by her husband, Ron. So at the court hearing, which again, this would not be that far from their home. You could probably just walk there. And uh, the municipal district of New York is not that all far from Battery Park. It's, I think, con- like roughly Canal Street, kind of near Chinatown. It, it, at that point in the island, things were just always kind of just close to each other, depending on what district you're in. So, um, so once again, she refuses to plead guilty. And this means her case is going to have to go through some long term arbitration process, maybe uh-huh. court. Um now, this is the point in the story where viewpoints sort of diverge. Um, some witnesses say that Sineha and Ron got into a huge fight outside the courthouse. Um, Ron says that they was a little, maybe they made a bit of a squabble, but they simply got breakfast or a late lunch. Around noon, he had to go back to the apartment to get a bag or something for his work that he forgot. Um, she was there. He kissed Sineha goodbye. And that was the last time he ever saw her. Okay?
0: Yeah, okay, so he there is either a fight or not a fight outside the courthouse that he... And then he sees her right before he goes to work, and then nothing.
1: Yeah. So they get lunch. He, I think, departed. Then had to go back to the apartment. She was still there. She. He kissed her goodbye. That's it. And also, if there was a fight, we don't know the severity or intensity of it. There are some people who say it was like a really like loud screaming match, and some people. And and then there's, I get a sense that maybe it wasn't so bad. So it really depends on who you talk to.
0: He probably was like. You should just plead guilty. It'll make this all this stop. Like, you know, going to court is expensive. And
1: yeah, um, I think that I see not to make this narcissistic, but there are elements of Sineha that I see in myself the last two years that I mm-hmm. that aren't great. Um, and one of the reasons why I was drawn to the story is it is a story about there are LGBT influences in it. Um, uh, she, her experience reminds me a lot of my friends, a little bit of myself, a lot of the stuff she was dealing in her relationship is stuff that I've felt about. Um, I don't think my, my partner and I are not at this level, but um, mm-hmm. it, there were things that kind of just hit close to home, especially in terms of the arrangements they had and like going out, like the rules. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's a whole lot. But needless yeah. to say, Ron get, comes home later that night around midnight after his shift. Sees that she's not there, and he's understandably irked and concerned. But she figures that she's going to stay with her brother, a cousin who's supposed to come over for dinner at their place that Wednesday. So Ron goes to sleep. He wakes up that uh, the next morning at six a.m. for a meeting at um, eight a.m. So mm-hmm. he comes. So he goes up to the Bronx. Uh, He has his meeting, he comes out of work, and then he sees that all of his fellow staff are huddled around the television set because Uh. this day is September 11th, 2001, and American Airlines Flight 11 has just crashed into the North Tower. Oh my gosh. So obviously he calls Sineha to find out if she's okay. And that was why I was being a little bit vague to kind of just like set the mood, but not like in a way where I'm trying to use 9-11 as kind of just a drama point. I would say 9-11 is kind of the focal point of this episode. So we're just kind of shifting to that mindset (laughs) here. So he obviously calls Sineha to find out if she's okay, can still not get through to her. He immediately assumes though knowing her, that she probably decided to go involuntarily to St. Vincent's in anticipation of all the medical victims that are going to come in. Likewise, Ron has to stay in the hospital for the same reason. Um, now here's a really sad, super bummer fact about medical responders in hospitals on 9-11. Uh, 9-11. All of them in Manhattan and elsewhere in the other boroughs, immediately brace themselves for triage and a huge influx of injured persons who were going to come in from the World Trade Centers and the surrounding areas. But because of how events played out and of how the buildings collapsed so suddenly, and with so much miscommunication preventing people from safely evacuating, most of the people inside the buildings died. Yeah, Uh, we know is like, uh, like almost 3000 people. Uh, Ron finally manages to get through to St. Vincent's and the staff tell him that she's not there. She did not come in so around 3 p.m ron decides to hitch a ride with an ambulance headed for downtown and it ends up taking six hours to get there because of the chaos and the highway uh if you've listened to the last podcast on the episode of 9-11 which is not something i would go into lightly because that 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 yeah. was one of the few ones that did mess me up you're gonna recall they talk about and i think it's henry zabrowski who talks about seeing um cars double parked or just hearing about people talking about cars double parked along the routes and all the floods of people crossing the the Brooklyn Bridge to effectively escape from Manhattan because we didn't know wh- what was going to happen next. Yeah. Um, just not and not to make this a, like me telling about 9-11 story but my mom was actually across the street from the Pentagon when all of this happened mm-hmm. and her her perception of it was that at the time they thought that Washington DC and elsewhere was at, like America was under attack and there was going to be a lot more that thank God didn't happen. In fact, she, yeah. uh, she uh, had called my grandmother who was um, watching us at the time to basically just say like, I, I don't want to get into it. It's, it's really dark, but um, anyways, so prepare uh, for
0: the worst. And yeah,
1: it's, uh, there are a few things in life that genuinely disturb me. 9 11, mm. j- is one of the things that disturbs me which i mean it should but um i
0: mean it shaped our childhood so if it doesn't shape if it doesn't disturb us
1: it was the loss of innocence for all of us oh yeah and our first generation
0: i mean i my i think i know people younger than me that can't remember it and i was like i remember that day vividly Mm -hmm. and it's terrifying i mean it's not as scary as it was for some people but it was I My high school teachers, they watched the plane turn around. It turned around over my high school. And Wait, they were were like, you in New York? No, the one that crashed in Pennsylvania... Oh, they tr- It turned around over Cleveland And that flight path is right over my high school So they all were like watching the news And then they looked out the window And they were like what the fuck So my so teachers f- were like more traumatized by it
1: Yeah um, My my school, my middle school didn't even tell us Which I have very <laughs> strong opinions about um, I find that whenever 9-11 get, gets brought up In conversation there's a Pavlovian response To just like this is where I was at this day mm-hmm. I could That would take another episode I'm sure. So um, yeah. we're just, I just want to get back to the story uh, just mm-hmm. to stay on track. But um, so yeah. Ron is able to get, uh, he gets to Tribeca, which sits above the financial district. It's kind of close to where I work. Um, It's blocked mm-hmm. off by police. It's cordoned off. So he has to convince officers to let him through using his medical credentials. And probably mm-hmm. also because he's, you know, you know, ostensibly worried about his wife. So yeah. he's able to get through and he starts to realize the full extent of the destruction. It looks like a war zone. There's ash everywhere her car is on fire i mm-hmm. think live right across the street so when he gets down from the world trade center so when he gets down to the area of like Fidei, it's practically black with smoke and there's p- there's pieces of falling paper and ash which also include human remains which is really not yeah some not pleasant um there's also overturned fire trucks and i can't imagine and do not want to imagine what it looked like uh also mm-hmm. i'm told the smell was not pretty so worse he gets to his apartment and because the power is down he can't make it through the electronic doors he sees a Hmm. candle in the window and he gets the attention of the occupant and asks to see if his wife is home in their apartment that person comes back and says no. Um, I, that part I I found I didn't find in my research, but it was mentioned in um, Thinking Sideways is a great episode about this case that I would mm-hmm. encourage as supplemental listening to all leaders. Uh, sorry, listeners out there. Um, but I'm not sure why he didn't get asked. That like didn't ask to get like, let in. But okay, so he ends up crashing at a friend's place in the village. Manages to get inside the next day, and um, he f- sees that nobody's been home. And he knows this because the window was left open and there's ash that's come through um, and like detritus and the cat he sees a paw prints from the cat everywhere but no Sineha prints so the next action Ron does is he calls her family to try to locate her but of course that you know there's an astronomical amount of missing persons reports about over like like 9,000 plus that come in the phone lines are clogged it just makes it just virtually impossible to like launch any sort of investigation to find this woman so the family starts to spearhead um like the search they print out flyers um There's tons of news reporters all around the area, and in the following days, Ron would approach them and ask them to cover Sneha's story to locate his wife. And they would be interested at first until Ron told them that she vanished on September 10th. And in one of the many fucked up things about this story, all these reporters declined to do any coverage because they were more concerned people missing on 9-11. So Ron's desperate. He calls up Sneha's brother, John. Now, John speaks to the reporters and convinces them to speak with him. So he comes down to the street and he films a segment and then that's when he drops this very sad fact he says and this is a quote I was on the phone with her and she told me she couldn't leave because people were hurt. She said, I have to help this person. And that's the last thing I heard from her. So by this account, Mm -hmm. Sineha was on the scene of the attack and then something happened to her, which sounds absolutely plausible. And in fact, there were people on the ground assisting others during this period when the towers were collapsing. Some who made it out and sent Mm -hmm. plenty of others who didn't. But here's the problem with John's statement. It wasn't true. Oh, in fact, he and Sineha hadn't spoken o- in over uh, two weeks because of an argument they had. The sources don't explain what that argument was about, and I can't really weigh in on if that supports any clues or uh, inclinations here about what happened. But um, we're about to, we're about to find out that John, while seemingly well intentioned, was not an entirely reliable source of information. So this plan backfires because instead of the police on the case directing their attention elsewhere. To where she might be the nypd latches on to john's story and comes to the consensus that she just died in the tower so the trail pretty much goes cold here until Ron and Sineas has family hire a private investigator as they're not satisfied with the police work involved and then of course the police are like wait a minute you told us that she you spoke to her like now you're lying mm-hmm. like this doesn't help now everyone's confused So the detective that comes in is a gentleman by the name of Ken Gallant, um, and he ends up finding some interesting pieces of evidence that the NYPD does not come across. And from this report, we're going to piece together a timeline of Sinehad during the 10th and the 11th. So as we know, September 10th was Sineha's day off. Um, I think this was after the suspension, so she was working again. But again, if you're friends with doctors, you know they really have weird schedules of when they're on or off. So she was going to be off the next two days. So Ron leaves the apartment after their lunch. Sineha then um, has a two-hour conversation with her mother on, I believe, AIM. You remember AIM?
0: Oh, AIM! You know, you had to think of the perfect away message. You had to make sure no <laughs> one was on the phone because it would <laughs> kick you off. Oh, oh dial-up times.
1: Um, <laughs> this just this whole story really takes me back to a certain time and place, but I'll digress. So, um, by all accounts, this was a largely pleasant conversation. In fact, she'd seen her mother recently and mentioned wanting to hang out with her more in this, you know, more often in the city. Unfortunately, we don't have a record of this conversation, and um, we're going to find out why soon. But it's known that in one of these correspondences, Sineha mentions between towers. So specifically, she mentioned she wants to uh, visit uh, Windows on the World, which was a second, Mm. uh, a two-floor restaurant complex in the North Tower on floors one hundred six and one hundred seven. Sineha was going to check out. Was interested in the space because. A friend of hers is going to get married there in the spring, and she's either going to have the reception there or she's actually going to have the ceremony. And Sineha just kind of wanted to check it out, presumably because she had not been there. Uh, there's a thing with New Yorkers where, like, you'll live here, like, for years and years and years, and you'll never visit, like, one of the tourist destinations. Or, not e- or just something that's, like, not even touristy that is readily apparent, like, in an amenity, and you just don't do it because you just don't do it. So I, I totally feel that. <laughs> so around 4 p.m., uh, we know Sineha goes shopping for two reasons. One, this is the last time she uses her credit uh, her credit card or Ron's credit card. I think they might have had a joint account, which also leads mm-hmm. me to believe that there is clearly a degree of trust between them. Um, so regardless yeah. of where their marriage was, there was still... I don't know. Um, but uh, so we know she goes shopping because of that
0: and also because you we have
1: footage have, of it.
0: You know, you're doing okay if you're sharing a credit card, sharing joint checking accounts unless you're going to pull, uh, what is it, Sweet Home Alabama? And... <laughs> And kind of just use it to get your divorce. Yeah. uh,
1: I don't know. Uh, But so uh, there's (laughs) security footage of Sneha going into the discount department store Century 21, which is still there and you can visit it, I guess. Um, there's also footage of her going into the coat area to try on coats. Um, this latter part does lend to some interesting theories, so we'll keep that in mind. Um, mm-hmm. Though there is no existing footage of this, a worker in the shoe department mentions seeing Sneha accompanied by a woman who is described as small, dark-skinned, possibly in her 30s, and is presumably of South Asian descent like Seneha. Mm-hmm. This worker got the impression that Sneha and the woman were friends or at least friendly because of the interaction they had. But this woman has never pinged on any of the identities of people Ron was aware of. And to this day, this person has yet to come forward. So we know Sineha does purchase some garments, I believe lingerie, three pairs of Ooh. shoes. Um, Yeah. The item she purchases, it's one of those things that you can read into it, but you can also not read into it. I buy a lot of tank tops. <laughs> that doesn't mean that I'm... Going to... I don't know. Um, (laughs) So, but she does leave the store, presumably, with bags. There's nothing to indicate she left bags there. So... Now, the footage from September 10th is the last confirmed footage of Sineha, but there is Mm. one additional piece of video surveillance from the actual morning of September the 11th, and it's really frustrating. This is footage taken from the lobby of Rector Place, her apartment, and it shows a woman who matches Sineha's height, relative appearance, haircut, and demeanor approaching the elevator. Unfortunately, because of how the sun was coming into the lobby at the time, the footage is largely overexposed, so it's very difficult to identify Mm. this person for certain. and what's interesting to note about this person is that she doesn't have any bags on her, like no clothing or shopping bags. Huh. Now, this is this part is interesting. This is around uh, eight forty six a.m. when this footage is timestamped, and um, around the time it hits that eight forty six a.m., this is when the woman suddenly leaves and walks back out. So she approaches the elevator. I'm in my head. I seem to remember reading or hearing she presses the button and then hesitates and walks out or she approaches the elevator, stops, and walks out. Now that time signature is interesting because that roughly corresponds to when the first plane hit the North Tower. Now, there's a few takeaways to be had here. We do not know for sure it's Seneha, and as we armchair sleuths, we'll never be able to confirm that because the footage is not on public record. We also uh, have to ask ourselves, where the hell are those bag of clothes from Century 21? What's also frustrating is, even if the quality of the footage is bad, what What is it about their body language? Can we discern anything um, when they're walking away from the elevator? Because that would be potentially that could be telling. Was this person walking away from the elevator slowly, like calmly? Were they frustrated? Like they're like, you know, hesitant, like, no, I don't want to go back in there for some reason? Were they having second thoughts about entering the building? Were they distraught? Or were they, Or did they hear something outside, you know, like a plane hitting a building and walking away to hear what happened across the street because it was no doubt erupting into commotion and chaos. Now, yeah. why do we not have the surveillance, Courtney? Why do we, why can we not like see it like the footage of Elisa Lamb? And it's because the, at the end of the investigation, um, Detective Galan or private investigator, because I guess he wasn't, I think he was like self-employed, handed over all the research and findings to Ron, who has kept it locked away to this day. So it's not available. And that's why we don't have a lot of information, which is frustrating. Um, What the fuck? Yeah. It's not like, and that has, that has triggered a lot of people on Reddit who have come to some conclusions on why that is, especially when we have, you know, uh, like Maura Murray's father being very forthcoming with all the information, other people, um, people who are into true crime, they view this as suspicious by and large. I, don't really feel, I haven't really come to a conclusion yet about it. I personally am leaning towards no, because there's some emotional reasons why you might not want people prying into your business. Um, as we'll see yeah. with the quote unquote Lyle Stevick case, we do know that he has since been that mystery, which, well, you know, these are buzzwords that you can Google. Uh We you know that he was identified. Oh, that's also a 9-11. That's also tied to 9-11, that case, because that happened a few days later, which is weird. And I just realized that. But, um, we, yeah, uh, sorry. I'm like, I'm on caffeine and I'm going on these tangents. And I'm trying to keep it together, Courtney. I'm trying to do my best here. But we, but the point of that is that his family, um, has come out and said they're appreciative of the, all the armchair sleuthing. And, you know, we're very overwhelmed in a positive way from what I hear or from what I read about the concern about his case but they had no idea until it was brought to their attention that this was their family member. And i have chosen not to release any information about them. And it's pretty cool of the true crime and Reddit sleuthing web sleuth <laughs> community, by and large that they've kind of like stuck to their guns about, you know, not prying into that information though. I, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, individuals probably do know. Um, but that kind of, spells out the fact that even if you ha- there are is information out there there is valid reasons why it might not be available to people who would be interested in this case so um there's also the fact that both john um and ron had a very justifiable mistrust of the nypd specifically the detective assigned to this case named richard stark who i am naming and shaming um <laughs> that's fine uh, this is, I, I yeah well i don't have i mean i have an opinion but i also like i'm not a legal expert and i'm not you know we're not making money off of this um i this is just one side of the story that's my disclaimer maybe Maybe he absolutely was trying to do his best. I'm not going to disparage someone I don't know and haven't done uh, the complete extent of research, you know, that I could on this. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to like, I I don't want to say name and shame. I'll take that back. But this was the guy, John claims, who made up the whole Sineha having an affair with his wife. So understandably, that would rub a brother and husband pretty much in the wrong way regardless of how you feel about um you know someone's sexuality um but you know there's a lot of things that the family has said that contradicts what the nypd has said so it's hard to find someone to believe here and this does that one of the points of contention is that fight outside of the courthouse that sineha and ron had so, believe it or not, it does get worse because even How? after this woman goes missing, because after all this went down, there was a huge controversy over whether or not to list Sineha Philip as a victim of the 9/11 terrorist attacks. Um, I won't really get into it, but there's a lot of weird New York City laws surrounding when you list someone as deceased following their disappearance, when you can officially claim them dead, and it's like three years, I believe. So mm-hmm. this posed a problem for Ron because there was a fund, like a compensation fund, set aside for victims of 9/11 and their families. So he was entitled to a fair bit of compensation. And we're talking something in the in the thousands here Mm -hmm. so Ron said he didn't care about the money but about validating Sineha as a victim of 9-11 regardless he never got the money because by the time the city of New York finally came around in 2003 to including Sineha among I think it was maybe 2003 2004 they decided to include they officially and they fought like hell the family and Ron to include her they Mm -hmm. did include her among the list of the victims but at that point the funds had been depleted so Sineha's family as well as Ron has accused the city of New York for being biased against Sineha and drawing a lot of conclusions based Based on her activity and past run-ins with the law. The family's attorney, Mark Bogatin, is quoted, or I think it's Bogatin or Bogatin, is quoted saying that (laughs) the New York court accused Sineha of being, quote, partially at fault for her own death for participating in in this high-risk and immoral behavior, which sounds like he's doing air quotes there like he's not saying that he thinks it's um like the way i took it is like he's saying like they thought she was at fault for like this so-called high-risk immoral behavior he wasn't giving her a disparaging or condemning remark yeah in fact the quote ends with with him saying it's like she walked into a courtroom in the 50s so clearly he's on her side which is really (laughs) cool he Um, that's literally all I read about this person but already he's like one of my favorite people in this because it shows he's not judging her for her actions which were if anything more self-destructive and maybe a little bit um, selfish but it wasn't anything I and like you know it was dismissive but I don't consider it to be mean-spirited in what she did because like I said I have there's definitely been points where I should have probably texted my partner when I've been staying out late and there's definitely themes you know, things I've done in New York City that I'm not necessarily um, proud of doing. I mean, compared to what my other friends have done, if I told if I decided to disclose those things right now on this podcast, I would seem Amish mm-hmm. in comparison. But for me, being a small town boy in Connecticut, they are, you know, I would say, you know, a little bit party boy. Um, <laughs> nothing illegal. But you know, it's excessive. Um so, um, the family believed that Sneha could be confirmed as having died in the wreckage of the towers if investigators could identify the minu or that necklace, or that uh, wedding mm-hmm. necklace that Ron had given her. So, Ron sent in items, uh, photo- photographs of the jewelry to investigators who ha- do research. Um, and cataloging of the af- the um, assets discovered in the Trade Center wreckage. Nothing's mm-hmm. come back yet. It's also important to note that I, th- and I don't know if this number I got from the um, research from Thinking Sideways, or if I read it, I unfortunately didn't cite that. And that's me coming out in full disclosure as like a shame, shame. But I think it's around 15,000 pieces of jewelry that uh, did not burn in the conflagration and have yet to be identified or matched to a victim. Yeah. So as of 2018, Sineha has not appeared in any of the footage of 9-11, of which there is a fair amount of. And no eyewitnesses on the ground report any encounters with her either. The Hive Mind of Reddit came to the conclusion that if she had run into someone, they would have most likely mentioned something because, as I had said, Sineha was a very striking individual. She was tall. She was, mm-hmm. you know... Um, I would say, you know, conventionally, uh, conventionally or maybe unconventionally beautiful, um, and not to exoticize her, but her being Indian would maybe make her stand out to any passerby, just because we just have a tendency. If I mean, New York's pretty diverse, but I think mm. you know, maybe someone would latch onto the like her ethnicity. They would describe her as you know looking South Asian if they had ran into her. So oh, yeah. um, several years after the tragedy of 9-11, Sineha's family and Ron finally did convince the powers at be to acknowledge Sineha as a victim of the terrorist attacks at the university in Dutchess County in upstate where Sineha's mother works or worked. I couldn't find if She still worked there. There is a placard dedicated to her. And um, I would say most importantly... At the, at the National 9-11 Memorial, uh, Philip is memorialized at the South Pool on panel S-66. So if you want to go visit there and pay respect, I, I intend to actually before I leave New York. Um, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about the 9-11 Memorial that are mostly me feelings and not like societal feelings. And that's really just how I process tragedy and grief. For me, I have a very unhealthy habit of sweeping it under the rug and trying to ignore it. But I also, it's very difficult for me to go down to the World Trade Center area, which of course, they've rebuilt the World Trade Center, and I'll get into that in a second. But Mm -hmm. I do know when I go down there, I think it's just always in the back of my head. But that's me being pragmatic, me being a little bit spiritual. There's definitely a very weird energy there. And if you are spiritual, anywhere where there is a site of mass destruction and a mass loss of life, there's going to be some pretty dark energy that just stays there and in New York City where there's already so much energy that's just like compounding that it's nuts um so I actually just a little bit of a detour I have been to the World Trade Center because I had an interview there um It is stressful to get inside. There is a lot of security for obvious reasons. I recall going in, and the lobby is enormous. But I was there for a job interview, and I had clearance. And when I was looking around, the first thing – a woman I think my age – uh, she approached me, she was clearly a guard and there was about four or five there just waiting for people to come in and she kind of was just like, what are you doing? What are you here for? And it was very like, very abrupt and I, I told her calmly what I was here for and I think I was, you know, st- you know taken aback and it was a little unsettling because she kind of did this weird kind of Stepford Wife turn on a dime where she was like, okay, no worries. Welcome to the World Trade Center. So it, was, oh. it went from it, – yeah, it was very – I had an Australian friend who said that in the wake of 9-11, Americans kind of exhibit two polar extremes, optimism and paranoia – and that was really captured in that one moment in this, you know, my, this macrocosm of the, the 9/11 incident in being in the, that on that site, and that was going from extremely suspicious um, to un- really uncomfortably welcoming. Yeah, and it—I don't know if that was just her or if maybe she felt bad, but it was enough that that kind of kind of already coded my experience walking into that lobby, and also because there's this giant mural or like a painting that looks like an explosion. And in fact, it is supposed to reference the attacks, which is just like, I get that you want to pay homage to that. But when people are walking into the lobby, fully aware of, of the history of this, this new building on this site, that's really the yeah. last thing you probably want to do to make people feel welcome. I mean, there's the memorial outside in the Oculus for people to visit if they want to, you know, pay respects. But I think it also expl- kind of just demonstrates that I think we still don't, as New Yorkers, as Americans, as people mm-hmm. of the world, don't really know how to process the events of that day, to this day, and what our feelings and how we should feel about them. Especially so,
0: because it's it's not like uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. It's not a t- It wasn't a time of war. It was a peacetime attack. So it was not – like no one was – really that mm-hmm. alerted to it and it was just out of nowhere it well, felt like
1: th- there is considerable debate about whether or not we could have stopped it i'm not going to get into the 9-11 conspiracies because yeah. that's going to do sineha philip a disservice here oh yeah um uh, poor sineha and philip um <laughs> but in long story short i didn't take the job there which It would have been pretty cool because it was for an interesting company that was somewhat like Uber. I'm not sure if they're still around anymore, Um, but um, it was for a customer service position, so it wasn't all that. Wouldn't have been all that great in terms of pay, but it was really high up. The downside, and one of the reasons why I didn't take it, but also because I was hired somewhere else, was that I would have had to stay there on the upper levels at 1 a.m., And Mm. this was around the time I started getting into true crime podcasts, which I do like to listen to at work. So (laughs) if you can picture me already a neurotic individual, almost by themselves in the World Trade Center at 1am in the morning listening to a true crime podcast, that would have not (laughs) bode well. That's making
0: me paranoid.
1: Yeah. So anyways, we're just going to touch upon some theories and I know we do need to bring this to a close. It is a lot to try to condense into one episode. So theory – one. Sineha died on the ground trying to administer medical attention to the wounded, or she actually ran into the towers to try to help people. Um, this theory postulates that the woman on the lobby footage was Sineha, who rushed into the street and attended to the injured and was, th- was then killed by falling debris or caught in the collapse as it unfolded. My arguments against this theory are she has never been found simply because of how hard it is to identify the remains. Um, but mm-hmm. it's also telling that the footage shows a woman leaving the building around the same as the attack and not returning. Uh, Oh, sorry, that was arguments for this theory. Arguments against. Mm -hmm. uh, There is no footage of Sineha in the street whereas there is footage of those who were administering first aid and later ended up dead. This includes uh, Zhe, uh or Zach Zhang, who was a graduate of um, Rochester. He was working for the Bank of America on Barclay Street, and he his building was evacuated, but he had uh, trained in first aid, and he gathered up all the first aid kits he could uh, find and ran into the street to help people. And we know he died doing it because there was early news coverage that showed him in that area. And his remains were eventually recovered. Um, The first, quote unquote, first victim of 9-11 was Reverend Michael Judge, who was a fire chaplain. And he was killed administering last rites to a firefighter. Um, And they think he was hit by debris in the North Tower lobby when the South Tower fell. Um, And um, so that that shows that people who were on the scene uh, were caught on film. They were known and they did end up dead. But we could identify them being there at that point of time, whereas we can't for Sineha. The other argument against that is that most medical professionals know better than to just run into a burning building, especially if they have no tools on them that they know can help people. Mm -hmm. Um, They would most likely refer to on-site EMTs or firemen who are there to get the situation under control and would defer to them or work with them rather than just jump into the fray by themselves. Um, theory two: She was killed on the ground as a bystander after spending the night with someone, uh, and that's either platonically or not platonically at a nearby hotel. Um, the subheader to that theory is that Ron and her were essentially separated or had an open had an open marriage that they didn't disclose to other people. And I'll get into this in a second. So uh, so arguments for this are private investigators theorize that she might have been at the bar or grill near the Millennium Hotel near the World Trade Center the night before. And she might have stayed in that area and maybe Ron knew about it and just kind of protected her reputation. And she had come back the next morning to get a change of clothes. There, of course, is the eyewitness reporting of, you know, that woman in the department store that Sneha was with that's never come forward if she was uh if she was a friend or even you know, a romantic partner, she might've gone to back to the hotel with this person. Um, and a lot of the speculation comes from Reddit. Um, and the following does come from someone who actually knew someone who worked at the hotel who di- or claims to have, you know, it's Reddit, who died during the attacks, as well as someone at the hotel who was a guest and managed to escape. Now I hadn't heard about this before and this is interesting. And I, I really wish I could have done more research on this because I've actually been to the Marriott hotel that overlooks, the um reflecting pool on the world trade center so i've been in there and i've been up there i've seen it you know so it, it, there wasn't any destruction but of course this was of this year and the mm-hmm. Marriott, if there was destruction there could have been um rebuilt so i'm really not sure what happened there and i i unfortunately should have done better research but um according to this poster on reddit most guests made it out of the Marriott that day, thanks to the staff who went door to door, banging and yelling, trying to wake people up to evacuate them. Um, the, the poster says that the person their family lost was one of the staff members, which leads me to believe that there was some destruction that happened and people got caught in the collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, of the 10 guests of the 900 registered at the time, some who had already just gone, you know, not were at the, not at the hotel at the time, 10 of them had never been, <laughs> never been found. The person that was lost, who was a worker there, was also not found, which is why they kind of speculate that Sneha might have just been caught up in the blast. And they do know that they were there, and this person had spoken to their wife before the towers fell. Uh, guests also named them publicly as the person who saved their lives by um, knocking on the door. But, you know, there were other people in the vicinity and other buildings who were also um, caught in the collapse or the blast and also died. Um, that could have This could have happened to Sineha. She might have been at the hotel and didn't know to evacuate. And she might not have been there under her name, but the name of someone else possibly even that woman that she met at the dep- or the woman on the footage or not the footage mm-hmm. who was reported at the department store. So maybe she, you know, lost her life at the Marriott hotel. Theory three is she went into the world trade center before the North tower was hit and ventured up to the windows of the world. As we know, she had talked to her mom about doing that. It's possible she got caught up there and died in the attacks because I think from the North tower, some people escaped um, because they went down a staircase But a lot of people thought to go up. And that's mostly because there was just so much chaos. People didn't know what to do. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone escaped from the South Tower above the plane crash site um my arguments against this are pretty strong and this one's almost a non-starter according again to reddit um windows of the world was a special restaurant or destination and at that time they were setting up for a conference that was going to happen later the risk waters something or other i don't really know what that (laughs) does i I didn't look into it because i didn't think it was important um it was open business for a conference but not really open to the public and also it, someone, someone on Reddit, why this is so dead on? Uh, if you're if you're hungover, you're not gonna schlep up. To the World Trade Center, you're going to go to the, the corner bodega and get a breakfast sandwich to start in your morning. It's That's how you would start your morning. <laughs> um, theory four, and we're almost to the end. She was murdered by someone she had gotten involved with at the bar. Maybe also this woman seen at Century 21. The detectives thought that maybe she'd met someone at a lesbian bar and gotten, you know, mixed up in the wrong crowd or the wrong person. Granted, bars in 2001 are closer to New York of the 1980s, but still <laughs> by then... They were mostly safe, including lesbian bars. Um, maybe she got put into sex trafficking, but that's, excuse me, a stretch. I don't really believe that. Um, also arguments against it would have been very hard to hide a body during 9-11. Um, this also doesn't check out the lobby footage that shows a woman showing up the morning of 9-11. So unless she got murdered and jumped into the river on the way to like check out what's happening across the street, I doubt that happened um theoretically she could have been thrown into the water by someone who had killed her but or also jumped into the water but i don't think that happened i don't think she i think if anything her death would not have been her death would have been involved involuntary, involuntary we'll put it that way Um, I also think that that area was combed. I'm not sure if they checked the water. I feel like they would do due diligence and the NYPD would comb the water for any bodies that ended up there. They didn't find her there. They would find her
0: eventually. Anyways, bodies float.
1: Bodies float. And there have been bodies thrown, plenty of them, thrown into the (laughs) East River or the Hudson or the Bay and they do show up. So unlikely. Um, Theory five. And this was one that was put out on Thinking Sideways, um, she was killed by her husband. The theory for this is the declining marriage, as well as Ron's mm-hmm. frustration, as well as um, just what was you know happening in their life. But just based on his character, I find it hard to believe that he would do that. And I find it hard to, but I also, there hasn't really been any follow-up with Ron that I could find on the internet. So I don't know where he is right now. I think he moved away from the city, which makes sense. Oh, yeah. Um, There is this one little weird bit of evidence, though, that I didn't mention. Um, He was the only one home on the night of the 10th, but there are cell phone records that someone made a call from their home phone to his cell at 4 a.m. So he doesn't remember making the call, but thinks he might have just checked his voicemail, um, which you would do from your home phone back in the day. There's reasons for doing that. But it is weird that he claims to have been home on the night of the 10th, but someone called him from home.
0: Yeah, that is weird. It
1: is weird and spooky, and I don't really have a follow-up to it. It is odd. Um, Ron was... So the argument against this is Ron was cleared as a suspect pretty early on. By all accounts, he loved his wife. Also, the family remained in close contact with him. And genuinely, Indian mothers are pretty solid judges of character from every Indian mother I've met. so um, also, also,
0: he's the only one who initially was pushing for... Her to be reported missing, and looking for her actively.
1: Yeah, and he wasn't the one, and it wasn't like if you were to kill someone and try to hide the body, you might say, Oh, you know, use the the excuse of 9-11 as like, oh, she died in the Trade Center. Like, it's the perfect, perfect cover. And he didn't do that. He said she went missing. So he didn't, you know, I don't think he did it. So the final theory is theory six. She used the cover of 9-11 to run away from her troubled life and start a new life arguments for this, see everything literally above. Um, (laughs) Maybe the woman at the department store was a contact she'd been already um, making to help her flee the city like a confidant. Maybe even someone... (sighs) It's hard to tell if someone's a naturalized cit- citizen or how long they've been there. Presum- if we were going to presume this woman was from India or was an Indian citizen, maybe she brought S- S- Sineha back on a boat or a plane or smuggled her out of the city, and Sineha went back to India, to Kerala perhaps, to get in touch with her roots and you know become a doctor there. I think you still need proof that you're a doctor. You just can't stroll into another country and say like, Hey, I'm a doctor. But also, she was with some pretty interesting crowds, it sounded like, and mm-hmm. some artistic people. I don't know what the resources would be to to do false credentials. I also still feel like if she did try to become a doctor somewhere else, someone would have checked in. And, you know, checked That's in with her true. original... Yeah. Um. The argument against this is that all of Sinead's personal IDs, wallet, passport, cards, etc. were left at her apartment. She might have had some cash on her. Um... And the other thing is, it would be really convenient to plan to run away and then 9-11 happens and you choose that moment as an opportunity to escape. And also, even if you did, it would have been virtually impossible to escape somewhere else in the city at that time because Manhattan and trying to leave Manhattan was a clusterfuck. Though it was possible and people did escape, it was not easy to get out of the city that day. So she would have most likely been caught on some kind of footage based on the area she was in, and even if she'd laid low, she probably still would have been caught or someone would have seen her, even if she ducked out after, you know, night had settled. Um, there's also the fact that the in the investigation, her computer was searched, and there was nothing suspicious telling, or at least pretending to this woman wanting to run away. So, in conclusion, the ultimate fate of Sineha and Philip may remain tragically unsolved, though new advancements in DNA evidence might help. Initially, it was thought impossible to sift through the amount of DNA left behind the bone fragment and ashes of the victims. I won't go into detail because it's really upsetting, but there really was only ash. We'll just use that term, ash, left. Um, But it's now believed you can find pure strands of DNA by sampling a bone fragment. And there are vaults that still have evidence to be tested for years to come. So it's entirely impossible. It's going to be, there's still a lot of people who aren't identified. We'll just put it that way. So, with all of that said, I'm going to end on one final, short, (laughs) for time, perhaps unrelated mystery or hoax that materialized only a few years later after Sineha had vanished. Um, Are you familiar with the website PostSecret, Courtney? PostSecret? No. Okay, well, so PostSecret was this... Uh, anonymous... There was this guy who set up this anonymous Dropbox, essentially, where people could write in and do illustrations or words, basically disclose anonymously disclosing um, their darkest secrets or secrets they had, confessions, confessions of love. There's a murder case that might have been a hoax that's involved with it. You could go down a rabbit hole. But... There was Ooh. a card submitted a few years later um, on PostSecret. You couldn't also you also couldn't trace these back to anywhere because it was anonymous. Mm-hmm. This card was a dark charcoal or pencil illustration of two silhouettes of towers fading into smoke, and the top of the illustration is cut off by burnt paper edges. And you can do a Google Google search for this because it's going to come up. Um, above the drawing was a single sentence in calligraphy that said, everyone who knew me before 9-11 believes I'm dead. So is Sineha Phillips still out there leading the life she was denied? Remember, she was into illustration and watercolor. Allegedly. That is not a certified source. So might have this been her way of just kind of saying, you know, and granted, kind of a jerk way. I'm... <laughs> It's me. What's also weird is that when you look at the comment section of this, it's like it's a, it's a post-secret classic now because they're all archived, but mm-hmm. one of them at the top says, I know who this is. And it's another anonymous comment. And it just sends chills up my uh-huh. spine. I want to believe Sineha and Philip is still with us out there and she ran away. Even that... Though that, you know, was not the nicest thing to do, that she had reasons to do so. The pragmatist says that she lost her life, you know, helping people or as an innocent bystander. But I want to believe she's still out there somewhere. But I do want to know what happened. And that is why this is my favorite Unsolved Mysteries. And I need water because I'm so (laughs) punished after that. Um, Okay, please talk. I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, I think... I want to believe also that she, like, it was just the craziest coincidence and she was running away anyways and it happened to be 9-11. But, I don't know, there's something about the fact that 9-11, you have to admit, is one of the best documented tragedies we've had in recent, like, it was the first really well-documented one. Mm. And there's no footage of her? That's the thing that really is weird, <sighs> is there's no footage of her.
1: It's just there's so many contradictions. It's like, what was the footage in the lobby? Where were the bags? If she was going shopping, where were they? Was that mm-hmm. that person to begin with? Who was that one in the department store? If she was here, why wasn't she there? Like, it's just, it's mm-hmm. so baffling and like there are so many other unsolved mysteries related to 911 as well that you that I kind of saw digging through this that are really interesting that you can honestly write a book about that specifically like the unsolved parts of 911 um yeah. It's baffling and it's disturbing and it's upsetting and it's creepy in a way that I don't really I can't say why it's creepy. I think it's just it's so it's like Murray Murray. It's like, yeah, how did she disappear if she disappeared? But then again it's also like Occam's razor. She probably just died in unfortunately in the blast that she was close by she was on the scene maybe she just you know was out of camera view and just like looking up but mm-hmm. then again, wouldn't someone have met I don't know. Oh it's so frustrating.
0: And you have to think about it, too. Like, New York City has so many more cameras now.
1: It absolutely does.
0: It's not as well covered as it was back. Like, back then, it wasn't... There wasn't as much camera coverage. There was a lot. It was a lot for a city. But, yeah, she could have just been out of camera range and everyone else was looking up. And she could have just somehow been part of the blast. I just want to believe that she might have... Her going to the, like, her... Her apartment for the last time could have been her being like, gonna leave him a note, being like, and then she just lost her nerve.
1: <gasps> I actually, yeah, that is good. What if she, I never thought about that one before.
0: Cause, and it says she turns around. So maybe he watches his wife literally attempt to go up and say, I'm, I'm going. I need to do this. And she can't. Yeah. And maybe that's what the detective, the private detective found.
1: Yeah. And, <laughs> and I, I really hope that he does really set footage. There's, there's really not a lot of follow-up to this story. There hasn't been much coverage of it. And there hasn't it's not like Mara Murray where it's like back in the public consciousness. Um or Andrew Gosden, which is now the which that's there are some updates there that are interesting. Um yeah. it's and I hope it does. And I can't explain why it's the one that I latch onto. I think it's just because it's it's dark, which, you know, I'm into. But also it <laughs> is, you know, a woman that I feel I very emotionally feel for. Um, she's someone who reminds me of my friends. She's mm. someone who uh, reminds me of myself. Because I'll tell you, coming to terms with your sexuality and or the coming out process to yourself, to others, not easy. And it's it just, I can only imagine what was running through her head. Um, and it's just people who are good, but are a little bit damaged or broken. And they try to do the good thing and they make bad choices, but they keep trying to do the good thing. And they're still mm-hmm. ostensibly good people. I just, I just really feel for that. It's just, it's tragic. This story is a tragedy. And like I said, I just hope she just like pops up somewhere and just like, this is it. And stranger things have happened. So that's what I'm I kind of not- want to believe. I'm crossing my fingers. She's, she's still out there. Sineha, Sneha, if you're out, if you're out there, please email Courtney or me and just say that you are from like something we can't trace i just want to know you're alive and just be like hey, thanks like just like just i just want to know you're alive
0: we'll just maxwell and i will just have a private little powwow and be like oh my god (laughs) she's alive oh my gosh uh why don't you tell us where to find your podcast and your wonderful
1: (laughs) self thank you um (laughs) my podcast is not it's about objects that disappear and not people which is one of the reasons I like it because there are there is some m- crime involved and loss of life, but there's also a lot of adventure and um, characters and people who are still with us who are trying their best to recover lost artifacts. My podcast is Relic: The Lost Treasure Podcast. Every week, I talk about a infamous or famous uh, lost treasure, a piece of work, um, something like that. Uh, that's now lost to time, and I present a few theories for it. If you listen to lore, it's like lore light. Um, <laughs> it's it is all. It's not. Ju- it's not like this. Where it's a roundtable. It is m- just a narrative. Um, we wrapped up our first season. Recently, and we've gotten a whole lot of new people on board, so I'm just kind of taking some time for my, um, you know, just to to work on it. And in the meantime, I'm actually releasing a off season podcast that's super nerdy, and that podcast <laughs> is called Everything Is Crystals. Uh, it is a Final Fantasy podcast for people who have never played Final Fantasy, which is a video game series, um, and you don't have to be a gamer. To get into it if you like fantasy literature if you just like people two friends getting drunk and trying to tell a ridiculous story it's <laughs> me and my friend going through each game and there's 15 of them so and they're all crazy and it's it's a new guest each time for the most part um so and a few of them i hope knocking on wood will be voices from the podcast community um so be on the lookout for that that's going to release sometime in july i don't have like i don't have the twitter or social media for that but you can find relic at relic um sorry at lost treasure pod at uh, gmail.com or lost treasure pod at twitter um i'm losing my voice i think this is a good place to end
0: (laughs) yes Thank you. And thank you for everyone coming back to this format change and magicalness that is hopefully going to happen.
1: Courtney, it's such an honor. Uh, Every time you're on my podcast or I'm on yours, this is always great. So it's a good time. uh, It's going to be good. I am looking forward to the future of Cult of Domesticity.
0: Hi, I'm Nick. And I am Rob, and we are the Brohio Podcast. We
1: cover all the unknown and much more. Aliens, true crime, famous murders, monsters, paranormal, and everything that goes bump in the night. We keep it funny, slightly trashy, and sometimes we like to talk about crapping our... Nick, Nick,
0: Nick. We are trying to make a good impression here. Right,
1: right. You can find us on all your favorite podcast apps. We drop new episodes every Monday. We are a member of the Bomb Pod Media Network. We'd love to talk to you on Instagram and Twitter, at Brohio Podcast. And the bros of Brohio do a... Appreciate you listening. We will see you on the dark side.
0: Thank you for listening to The Cult of Domesticity. We are available on all podcatchers on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter at The Domestic Podcast and Instagram at The Cult of Domesticity. If you have a topic request, information, or want to send us a recipe, please email us at thedomesticpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share with all your friends. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.